0: Welcome to Writers Talking TV, brought to you by the Writers Guild of Canada. This Life debuted on CBC this fall. The series follows one family's journey through life after the mother is diagnosed with terminal cancer. Somber-sounding stuff. The series is heartfelt, warm, funny, sexy, and surprising. I'm your host, Cal Coons, and tonight our guest is This Life showrunner, Joseph Kay. We'll talk with us about the challenges of developing the series... Managing the storylines of the many characters and making an entertaining series with cancer at its core. I'm Cal Coons, I'm your host, and um, this is Joseph K. and Joe. And I uh, know each other from many years ago, and um, he's going to talk with us about the challenges of you know bringing a show to air and to life and. Uh, and uh, the, the ride he's had with this life. And um, before we get started, I just thought I'd give you a little background on Joe and his career. Uh, he's a Toronto-based writer-producer, created and wrote numerous episodes of the HBO Canada series Living in Your Car. Other credits include Bomb Girls for Shaw, the limited series The Line for HBO, and CBC's Republic of Doyle And This Is Wonderland. He's a graduate of the Canadian Film Center. Uh, Where we met. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it was a great time there. And um, and then before becoming a screenwriter, Joe was a transactional lawyer at one of Canada's foremost security law firms. So with that in mind, before we really talk about this life, uh, tell me a little bit about your career path, Joe, and, and how you you know got into the industry and ended up here.
1: I, I um, like a lot of people, I found myself at law school... Um, not necessarily wanting to be a lawyer, but just there because I got in. And uh, when I got in, <laughs> uh, when I got in, even though I didn't know that I necessarily wanted to be a lawyer, uh, everybody who gets into law school is kind of driven to get a job as a lawyer. That's kind of the direction that you all run. I went in that direction, got a job as a lawyer, started working as one, but then realized pretty quickly into that that although I had really liked the intellectual and academic side of law school, that the practice of law wasn't for me, so sort of in my spare time while doing that and still earning money, I made a short film. And with that, I got into the Canadian Film Center in their television writing program uh, where Cal was one of the instructors in that year. And uh, I did that. It was an amazing program. I highly recommend it. And while I was doing that program, I got a job on This Is Wonderland. was my first job. Uh, and it was a really amazing learning experience. I worked on that show for the entire time it was on the air and sort of went from there.
0: Very nice. So, let's talk about this life and um, um, can you tell me about its uh, roots, where uh, the idea came from and its sort of unique development uh, path?
1: Sure. Well, it's an adaptation of a very successful and beloved and popular French show called Nouvelle Addresse. Um The, so the idea came from there. <laughs> Um, predominantly from the mind of one man named Richard Blaymer, who in the French system, uh, they don't have writer's rooms and they don't have groups of writers writing television. It's just this one guy who sits in his apartment and churns out episode after episode after episode. And uh, the show had done very well on Radio Canada and I think CBC and Sphere Media Plus, who produces our show, uh, has had a successful track record Uh, adapting their French shows for the English market. They also do 19.2, which is an excellent show. And they approached the CBC with this property, and the CBC was really interested and wanted to develop it. And uh, I think, um, you know, and and they did. And (laughs) it was uh, very fortunate in the sense that um, it it was given a very, very long development period, um, which is uncommon, over, over a year, and over half the scripts, basically, of the first season were ordered into development. And, uh, you know, the, which really for the writers gave us an opportunity to really spend a long time trying to figure out the show that we wanted to make in development to really learn a lot about the characters, the kind of show, the kind of adaptation that we wanted to make. And so as a result of that long development... I'd say we were able to go down a number of roads that we maybe didn't end up staying on, but that uh, taught us a lot about the kind of show that we ultimately did want to make. So um, it's very rare for that many scripts to be ordered with such a long lead time, and I think in our case it was a really fortunate thing.
0: So um, later we'll screen episode four, and we'll talk a little bit about that, Episode one, uh, you know, the core of everything, uh, um, what were the challenges that you were faced with? Uh, and I'm not letting out a secret, it's just, I gotta tell you right now, it's about a family dealing with cancer. And uh, I think that it's really interesting to understand uh, how you approached it, and in developing that from, you know, it's intrinsic to uh, the process. That you undertook to develop it, adapt it from the, from its from its uh, French origins. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think um, in terms of the adaptation itself, we we knew that we were taking um, something that had become very popular while it was on the air and very loved by the audiences who watched it. So we knew that we had something at its core that audiences were responding to, and also having you know read the scripts at that time that existed in French and seen some of the episodes, it was a very strong show. But I mean, early on the question was. You know, we were never asked and nobody ever wanted us to make a translation of a show, even though it was successful in another language. So the question was always, you know, how do you adapt it? I mean, what, do you, what do you do? You know, We had very early conversations about, are there even are there cultural differences between a show that might be successful in French and a show that might be successful in English or work in those two languages? And if so, are there reasons for that? We talked about that a lot, and I think at the time, originally, we thought maybe there were. But in retrospect now, I... I don't really think that's necessarily it. And if there are, I don't think it really played a, a role in it. It's really just w- what was, how were we going to access with these characters. And in spending a very, very long time working on all of the episodes through that development phase and as we got closer to production, it was always really just about if the show's going to work, it needs to work on an emotional level. You need to be able to connect to the characters and you need to be able to feel what they're going through. And it was always just about how we would do that
0: so these this family that that is at the core of it um, y- you know uh, i I'm interested in because um you know we we tend to be in Canada in a, 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 a quite an episodic television world uh case of the week quite often and and this is uh, this show is very organic um uh and I see Sarah Adams is sitting here, and and it's just curious because as writers, of course, we we have a lot of different dreams and goals with our uh, the projects and the nature of the shows that we're trying to get to air. Um, how did you approach pushing the project forward and uh, getting approvals to uh, t- to make something that's quite unique? It's quite a you know, it's an ensemble character piece. It's not a case of the week show. It's not. Uh, the Jeopardy isn't uh, life and death. It is, of course, and it's universal. Uh, cancer is, 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 is strikes so many of us. But at, at the same time, it doesn't rely on a police uh, investigation or, or a medical procedural to, to drive it forward. Um, how did that work?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not just saying this because Sarah from the CBC is here, but <laughs> they, they that's the show they wanted. I mean, we, we didn't have to sell them on... This isn't a procedural with a hook. I mean that was the show that they had seen and put into development based on the French template and continued to continued along in development uh, based on the early scripts that were being generated and um both the c b c and us so us the writers and also sphere that's the show that everybody always wanted was a an emotional show that was not afraid of its serialized nature. That took its time with plot. That didn't have to rely on anything artificial with plot. But that first and foremost was going to create like a family that you cared about and could relate to. And um, I mean, it, it, we didn't have to convince them of that as a concept. I think what we just had to do was write material that proved the case.
0: Right. And you you know obviously you were dialing in tonal things and uh, character things. Um, I, I think humor plays ironically, for, for serious material, a, a very important part in it. So in the development process, how did you begin to deal with, uh, you know, tone and uh, as opposed to, you know, um, maybe, uh, and humor as opposed to Jeopardy?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, tone, I, th- I would say that tone, uh, we always knew that we, that it should be funny as much as it should be funny, that it should be naturally funny, not jokey, but humor that comes out of situation, um having uh, i think anybody who's experienced uh, either the kind of trauma that Natalie and her family go through in the show or any kind of similar trauma knows that as human beings we we do engage with that with comedy all the time I and mean, we when we're at the hospital late at night with our family we're laughing even though it may be really serious while we're there that's just how we engage in these things as people so we always wanted the tone to find that in an honest way but i will i mean i, I will say that f- like arriving at the final tone of the show was something that we worked very, very hard on all through the development period of over a year and then into when we were continuing to sculpt all of these scripts through production. And it's something that we, the the tone that exists in the show, say in the episode that you'll see tonight, it's something that we, it just took us a a lot of work and a lot of thought and a lot of writing and rewriting to get there. And then when we found it, we kind of knew we had it. And I I think we, we just continue to live there. So
0: you find this tone, you find this zone, um, and then uh, I guess I'm very curious about your cast. I think it's fantastic, and um, you know how the casting process worked, and uh, you know the, the how they fit into and and it, and you affected your writing. I think Tori Higginson, who's uh, uh, Natalie, is fantastic, and uh, Lauren Lee Smith is is really great. I mean, it's just a, a terrific cast across the board. Um, so what happened and what were you looking for in casting and how did it grow from there?
1: I mean, I I just think we were, (laughs) we were so lucky with cast. I think it's, it's an amazing cast. Um, in terms of the core cast, the grown-ups, you know, we just, I mean, I I think that the characters were very strong on the page and the actors who came in all said that and all felt that. They, they knew the characters are clearly drawn and they have their thing and I think they could tell from just the sides they were given, they were able to access that. But we we didn't have to... <laughs> the actors that we all cast um, at the adult level were, I think maybe, you know, we called them all back once and we just knew it. We just knew, you know, with Lauren, for example, we we just knew right away and with Rick um, and with Christopher Turner, who plays Oliver, and with Tori. I mean, we called back more actresses to play Natalie because that was the lead and it was she really has to carry the show. But of the actresses that we saw at first, It was, Tori was our number one from the beginning and remained it. And um, in terms of where I think we also have got, we've been unbelievably lucky, but this was also from working really hard was in casting the kids, which can be a very, very difficult thing to do. And we uh, looked at a lot of kids and we were trying to find kids who were roughly the actual age that the characters were, you know, kids that could play the sort of emotion of what they're asked to do on a subtle level, and um, we worked really hard to find those kids, and I think they're fantastic. Yeah, so they're, gr-
0: they're great. They're, they're, they're really terrific. Yeah. And
1: they're amazing to work with, and they're all incredible professionals. We're really, really lucky there. And um, because the actors all just sort of fit their characters, we, we, we would write to them very quickly. So, mm-hmm. um, Particularly Tori, who has the most to carry and probably... Um, uh, accessed back to us more than any of the other actors in terms of what did she wa- what she wanted to talk about and what part of her she was bringing to it, which is amazing that she did that and totally understandable. But we, you know, so we we, we absolutely write to her, her voice um, as soon as sh- we started rolling. Did, you know,
0: um, you know, what role did, did um. It's a very visual show. Was that part of your goals when you set out? Montreal, of course, is a great backdrop, visual backdrop. Um, I'm just thinking, t- again, in terms of how that all melded into the tone, it's such an interesting and, and successful combination of uh, character chasing plot, chasing uh, thematic, chasing uh, filmmaking, you know, visual. Um, how, do, how did the, the whole visual aspect of the city f- uh, fit into your... Um, development page? M-
1: Montreal is a very beautiful and interesting looking city. Um, we always wanted to showcase it. I, I would say that um, the way that Sphere makes these shows, they have a real efficient way of making these shows in Montreal They're, that kind of lends itself to, I think, the style that we ultimately landed on. The shows are 100% shot on location, which is not really regular for a series like this. but. Um, and they're also block shot more extensively than, a, than most series are. Um, but where that, where what that offers you is is the ability to, I'd say, feature the city and the places that we go in the city. So we were very deliberate with you know, the different parts of the city that the characters would live in. You know, who would live in Mile End because they're younger and more of a millennial, and who would live in the West Island because they were a suburban doctor. And we looked at that as an opportunity to actually see the city and feel like you're actually living in the city. And I always felt that. Um, in the in, in the sense that we always wanted to keep it real and grounded and emotionally honest, doing that with the city as well would just accentuate that subtly and uh, our lead director uh, did a i think a very beautiful job of setting the look of the show, paying very careful attention to visuals and natural visuals and the show does look good and I credit all of our directors for that
0: yeah we 'll uh, definitely want to talk a bit more of that after we 've seen the, seen the episode. Uh, um the other thing that I think is um particularly interesting is um you you guys have a lot of uh you play a lot with time the storytelling isn't isn't you know um totally uh um locked into a direct um uh, uh times timeline um uh, talk about that and how you approach just the whole um Again, it's a filmic way of writing i guess is what it comes down to and and you know you've used this palette you know time uh uh visual theme humor sexiness everything right uh,
1: i i where we where we um go nonlinear it's deliberate it's i mean our our device is um emotional that's our storytelling device it's an emotional story you know right. so where we would use that device, we use it in the first episode as a flashback and we use it in the episode we'll screen tonight and we use it subtly in other episodes is, is if we're going to frame something in a nonlinear way, it's, it's, just to, it's just to line up with what, say, Natalie is thinking and where her head is. So we don't do it all the time. We do it sometimes, but we have this kind of flexibility, I would say, and freedom in the storytelling um, where if that works for in a character's emotional arc, we do it.
0: So, so is Natalie really the key to the storytelling? Then, is that ultimately what it comes down to, or, or is it is it more like what's the, what's the core? And the, you've got to be pinned from some place, right?
1: Oh yeah, she's the center of gravity for sure. I mean, I think that everything revolves around her. Um, she, all the characters are c- connected to her. Um, she, she's the very much the center of gravity, and this this idea, which m- might seem obvious now. Um, but really didn't um, at the beginning of the development and through the development is this really basic idea of you know she learns that she is dying and that she only has so much time left to live and she has these really basic and pragmatic thoughts about, well, what have I done and what am I going to do? And I think that that, that basic question, I mean, this sounds so simple, but it is simple, applies to everybody. And so all all of us and all the characters in the show, so they're all, whether either directly or indirectly, uh, whether they know it or not, they're asking that question of themselves. So, she's connected to them, you know, from a family perspective, and sometimes very directly, and sometimes less so. But that I- emotional question that is the it's it's at the center with her, and it trickles through to everybody.
0: And now it's, it's a big ensemble cast you had there. Um, is that a plus or a minus? Uh, how plus. Did, how did you a plus? Yeah. Right. So how did you approach it? Uh, again, this uh, we'll get into some of the more specific details that's after everyone's. Had a chance to see the show, but I think it's interesting for you to maybe hear some of these things, and then when you watch the show, think about how the how, how the hell would I write this? Because <laughs> it's a, it's an intimidating process. It's mammoth, actually. I think you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, the having the a large ensemble allows us to not only rely on the heavy melodrama of the cancer, even though I would say that we generally don't play the cal- the cancer for heavy melodrama. But having that in our at our disposal. To tell, to tell many stories and to sort of expand our world as we see fit is a great storytelling device for a show that has this at its center. Um, we, the, I mean, I think that we, again, we're, we're not hamstrung by specific uh, storytelling rules. We, we don't have to touch on this character in an episode if we don't want to. Um, the nature of the stories are such that uh, because we're trying to tell sort of guided by this idea of just telling emotionally honest stories and sort of grounded real stories that they don't have to have um, a thousand twists and, and turns. So, you know, we can tell a really nice story about a supporting character in two scenes in an episode if we want to, um, but but we don't have to. So it's, it's <laughs> just a lot of freedom. Um, but you could. We could. <laughs> we might.
0: So um, let's... Uh, we're going to... W- um, screen this for, uh, in a couple moments. Uh, why this episode? Uh, why'd you pick this episode? And um, is there anything you want to say about it? And you know what? It, what you thought you'd like people to uh, maybe look for uh, when when screening it?
1: I, th- I think I picked this episode, which is episode four, instead of the first episode. It's, uh, it's sort of? A, I would have assumed that a lot of people would have seen the first episode, so I thought I'd pick something a little further into the run. And I think that the show which gets a lot of its preliminary energy from the diagnosis that Natalie gets. I think that it it, it obviously can't stay in that extremely intense space for the, the entire run. In the first episode, she finds out that she's dying. And so uh, into this uh, sort of beginning of the second third of the season, I would say it's the show kind of finding its legs. I mean, not in the sense that it wasn't working before because I think it continues to to work all the way through, but... It just sort of—I th- I feel like it's uh, shifting into gear. I think that's why why I picked it.
0: Well, I actually thought just uh, that, that episode one was, um, you know, like so many shows when we we launch. Uh, you have uh, pilotitis—the uh, all the you know details, all the um, snags of having to explain who, what, where, when, and why. And I thought you—if um, you haven't watched it, you should watch episode one. It, I thought it was handled very uh, efficiently and in the in the show, show show got up and running very quickly and and uh, uh um so i actually thought that it had found its legs pretty quick you know um uh so uh, i think everybody should take a look at it it's very if you haven't seen it it's actually quite uh, it's quite nice you know all the episodes are but
1: thank you yeah and i i, I think one reason for it not having pilot is that again we weren't we were never asked to and nobody affiliated with the show wanted to kind of spoon feed things. We wanted the audience to sort of come to it in a natural way. And so I feel like we didn't, we didn't have to do that sort of stuff. We were allowed to kind of hit the ground running and just go. Um, and, I, and I do think that the show st- starts well and is strong throughout. I just, um, the early episodes have to rely on the the diagnosis in such a large dramatic way. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of interesting when it make, when it turns that corner and starts to become more and more of a, an ensemble family show, still with, the, with Natalie's situation at the center of it, um, that's the, the transition that I found sort of really uh, interesting and challenging in getting to and navigating through.
0: Perfect. Okay. So uh, enough yak. Let's watch, uh, watch, uh, let's watch the episode, and then we'll come back and uh, talk about it. Pretty terrific. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Wow. A uh, lot going on. Amazing. Uh, I think it's such efficient s- storytelling. Um, how did it feel watching it?
1: I've never watched it with an audience before, yeah. <laughs> other than um, an editor. <laughs> uh, well, I've seen it before, so <laughs> yeah. Uh, good. <laughs> Fine. Well, you should. Re- <laughs> you should feel good about it. <laughs> um,
0: so, um, before we. Just get into s- too much nuts no and bolts. For me, I was watching it. There's three three little things I wanted to ask you about. Um, one was uh, how the commercial bricks work. Um, is it tr- is it really just three commercial holes, sir?
1: Yeah, um, uh, it was written with um, a more conventional four, but actually it was the CBC's idea, which we thought was a great idea to get rid of one. And um, so for every episode, it only has three. Nice. Yeah, and so the, the scripts were written and broke two acts in as much as you can do that with a show like this i mean there's no not regularly cliffhangers and that sort of thing but we would you know we would break them to dramatic moments or dramatic arcs within an act and uh, it was actually quite uh to sort of in editing lose the first act which is what we did we we lost the first act um it it worked really well I i thought and you're sort of in the show for a long time before you take the first commercial break which i think is a really good thing
0: yeah. So, did did you break it like it had four acts and then just combine or?
1: Yeah. Uh, re- really. Honestly, what we um, there were four. There were five acts. You know, sort of a like the the last one was always a little tag, essentially. Mm-hmm. But um, we just we, when when we decided to get rid of one, what ended up happening in almost every episode is just cutting the first one. Cause it's, we would cut the first break and just the first act runs twenty ish minutes as opposed to you know, maybe somewhere between 20 and 25 minutes. Mm. And um, it, it wasn't hard to, to do that because the, then the rest of the acts tend to stay where they were in the script. The one thing that we would change in editing a lot was the blow to title. It was always written, I think it was written, um, generally it was written with one scene <clears throat> and then it would go to title. But in editing, we played with that a lot and we were sort of encouraged if it worked to go like deep. I think in this show it went close to seven minutes before the title, which I think is interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it, it makes a really nice uh, sweep to the story yeah. not having to go to commercials so often, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um there's two other moments. Uh the one was um when we first meet um uh, Maggie, she's with the uh, the two lovers uh, from the previous episode and I was just curious about it's a question because I binged uh, watched uh, the show t- t- I've been working this fall and haven't Actually watched anything <laughs> uh, but but I binged it and and so the joke plays in an interesting way if you 've watched back to back you 've seen what happens before it i mean it still works. Uh, it's clear what's happening there but um how did you approach it did you were you concerned at all or were you thought this is as much likely to be as likely to be watched um in a group viewing or as it is is episodically or
1: you mean sort of we, why did we not set up that they had slept together or give you any information about what was happening there Yeah I'm
0: c- curious <clears throat> about why you kept it from me Joe
1: <laughs> Well in episode 2 quite a bit is made of a threesome that doesn't pan out for her And um, quite a bit is made of it. Like they they go on a date, and then the threesome's about to happen, and then Natalie shows up in the middle of it to tell her sister that she's dying. And um, it occupies a lot of real estate in that script. And at this point, I thought, let's just skip over it. You know, Mm -hmm. let's just start when it when it's over because we spent a long time dealing with it before.
0: But I guess I guess what I'm really saying is, are you less concerned uh, about? And is this a trait? You know, something that you're seeing about making? You know, like where you enter the story, making sure, like. It's not critical that you've seen those episodes. Yet the moment is is an important moment, right? Um, is, is it probably changing your style of writing over the last few years? I, I th- it seems to me to point to um, a different way of writing. that isn't maybe a, is a little bit more liberating.
1: Yeah, I think it's um like I I, I kind of consider it efficiency, the sort of the amount that you can pare back and pare back and pare back and not explain and not give any setup for. It's actually quite astounding when you just do it. <laughs> you know, so I was thinking that when I was watching the show, I, I don't know if anybody in the room has seen the first three episodes, but I, yeah, it would add something to know there was a history there. But I don't think it makes a huge difference. I think you still figure out what's going on.
0: Yeah, and I mean, how many people have actually have watched the first three? Yeah. So and so and and uh, you know, would you watch it binge or um, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting.
1: But I, I do think it's like, yeah, The for me, it's the, I think the more I do it, uh, the more I'm uh, attracted to efficiency.
0: Yeah, very very interesting. Um, the other moment that I really loved in the script was when actually uh, this uh, uh, Caleb learns about Natalie's tumor. And, you know, it's such an understated moment. Um, I think it speaks to a lot of, you know, kind of moments in the show. You know, um, that it was... Uh, because the opportunities be extreme, the, the melodrama or how uh, hard you want to hit that note, like I, uh, I thought the understatement was important and, and well carried out, and I just wondered if you talked to that about how, you know, that was, uh, you know, you brought that kind of feeling to the writing room and how you guys censored yourselves or didn't censor yourselves about those sort of emotional beats, given the seriousness of the material.
1: Yeah, I think we would pick um, big emotional moments carefully. Um, I think they're few and far between, actually, in the entire season. Even when there's the emotion there, in terms of people really going for it emotionally, I think with that. So we we did talk about and uh, talk about that in the room about the the quietness of moments like that. Um, when I was Caleb's age, my mother had cancer. She survived, but uh, for me, I I, I I that's how I would have dealt with it. So that's just me. But I wouldn't have broken down, you know. Um, So I think I just would have been numb to it because I think that's the, my memory is of being numb to it. And in fact, totally blocking it out even while it was happening. And I think at his age, you're not necessarily emotionally ready to be inviting to people in an emotional situation like that. Um, And also he's a low affect character (laughs) and always was. And that's kind of how he just evolved in our minds and he's a low affect actor <laughs> he's very very good very natural but he's he's slow affect so even if we had wanted him to sob in that scene he wouldn't have <laughs>
0: <laughs> i will try it again and uh, so uh, let, let's um let's go back a little bit and uh, uh you've you've um been um approached um, and it, this is actually your first sh- show running gig right mm-hmm. so what um what what were you saying to yourself about the the process and what you wanted to accomplish and, and how you're going to work with your writers, your team uh, as you move forward and how did that guide the whole development of the process?
1: Wow. Um, I just wanted to make a good show. Um, when I started on this show, I started as a writer, part of a writing room. I was working for Michael McLennan, who's a mentor of mine who had given me a job on Bomb Girls years ago. And... Um, Michael, at a certain point in the development, got a big fancy job in Los Angeles and had to leave. And I was promoted. And I think I didn't really stop to think about um, what my plan was other than wanting to make a good show. And, you know, with the writers and with the process, I just really, having been a writer for a very long time um, and, you know, been on in that chair, I just wanted it to be collaborative and open and safe. And I think safe in the sense that everybody's, we're all kind of encouraged to say whatever we want (laughs) whether and not to be afraid of bad ideas and all ideas are good ideas and just to foster that kind of environment and a a very very collaborative and friendly environment and i think we did that
0: let's talk about that then that original writer's room um and the development process Uh, uh, we know there's the uh there's the writing room before you get the go and then there's okay, we're going to make this TV series, now how do we do it? And the effects and changes that come of that. So um, how, with that long development process uh, and Michael leaving, uh, what happened and, uh, and how, how did you run that room and uh, uh, how many writers and what was going on?
1: When Michael was around, uh, there were, it was Michael, Shelley Erickson, myself and Rachel Langer, so what is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it was a it was a long development period, like I said, it was also really uh, unconventional in the sense that because it was such a long time, uh, we all sort of squeezed it in with other things we were doing over a it sort of was like a year to a year and a half, so we all had other jobs and other things we were doing and we would meet up for a week or for a weekend, and we would just keep you know breaking more and plugging more uh, away away the scripts and getting through it when michael uh then Michael had to go and um and the dynamic changed a little bit, it was really pared down at that point. Um, Shelley had moved on as well. And so at that point, it was really just me and a, a writer named Rachel Langer. <clears throat> and we had a group of scripts uh, as production. I think when Michael left, there was about two months before we were still in development. We just kept, at that point, really, Cal, we were just plugging away at the scripts. We were just kind of passing them back and forth and writing and rewriting and talking about it. And then when uh, the production order came, it was a very, very pared-down operation (laughs) in terms of working on the scripts. Um, And it was... I mean, again, it was the same principle. I mean, just working really closely with with Rachel on the scripts. It was, you know, what do we want to do? Having had the benefit of this really, really long development period, like I said before, I think we had tried things that we knew uh, were good but weren't entirely right. And so we had the freedom to... You know, work on that. Uh, We had enough time. We still had a lot of time, and because there had been such a long development, we had, um, you know, the sort of the inclination to continue and finesse and finesse and finesse these things until we found the tone. And um, we also had a very good uh, collaborative relationship with the um, creative EP at Sphere Virginia Rankin, who's not here, but um, she was almost a writer in a way in terms of the way that she would uh, sort of read the material and weigh in on the material and bring her own self into the material. And then uh, Rachel and I also at that point started working really closely. So this is sort of about three months before production began. We started working quite closely with Richard Blaymar, the author of The French Show, and he was a really, really valuable resource to us because he, although we had gone and changed the incidence of plot in his show quite substantially, um, that didn't bother him at all. In fact... He sort of liked, he, he liked engaging with it because, although sort of for the most part, what the characters are doing it tends to be quite a bit different. The characters themselves are, are sort of the same people. You know, we started with the template of these characters he created, and so I think it was really interesting for him to weigh in on the same people doing different things and sort of what was working and what wasn't working about that. And so we, you know, we took in all the input and just kept writing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. And rewriting. <laughs>
0: So um how does you know basically t- walk me through how a show works I'd, l- I'd love to know like um did you um do you pitch uh, talk about story ideas do you think of it in terms of a b c d storylines or characters uh, how how are you actually um, approaching the actual nuts and bolts of the, of, of this script, it's very efficient. There's a lot of things in play, a lot of scenes. Yeah. Um, uh, how, how do you how do you develop it and move forward? How do you break a story?
1: We start with Natalie. Um, in these first season scripts, for sure, we start with Natalie, and sort of every episode has to have her. <laughs> and um, we tried to figure out um, the really, really at uh, first the really. I mean, there's two sort of parts of her journey: the sort of emotional part where she's thinking about her choices in her life and how she's engaging with that. And then the really, really pragmatic part of her story, which is, you know, she gets this scan and then she's going to have to get a biopsy and then she's going to have to tell the kids about the biopsy and then she's going to have to start dealing with the incidence of her cancer eventually. So we would sort of use uh, both those emotional and those more practical um, things in her life as guide points. And so it was... You know, we we broke the season down sort of around that principally. So I guess she occupies the A story in every episode. And in an episode like the one we screened, I mean, you know, Natalie gets her biopsy results. And we can quite easily, I think, make an entire episode out of that one scene. You know, the before and after and the way that that information that's conveyed in that scene sort of affects everybody else. And so, you know, once we know where she is in the season and in the episode, we look at our different characters and where are they and where are they in relation to that so you know we'll kind of go through the list of characters and see if they're if they're ready to be told a story in that episode and and not all the time you know do we have to or do we want to but if it sort of makes sense then then we just would and i I think it would go from there like in an episode like this you know the the sort of the combination of the story with the uncle matthew and the Daughter Emma, the way their stories sort of intersect, you know, I'd say they're sort of like co-B stories in a way. His wife finding the cell phone, and the girl wanting the birth control pill, and we would sort of we work quite hard at having all those, finding ways for all the little stories that occupy the rest of the ensemble, where they're going to intersect, and how they're going to intersect, and how they're going to do that in a way that is as effective as possible.
0: Did you have the year arc uh, planned out for each of the characters, Uh, so you knew that when you started? Um, actual scripting structuring breaking
1: that board would change Uh, we had a big board that um that we would change as we moved pieces around but by about i'd say by by about by about six weeks before we started shooting that those pieces were pretty firmly in place and so we knew you know we it, it would it would say sort of like one thing for every character per episode and at that point um at that point, we hadn't written the last chunk, and I will say that the things that they did were the things that were on that board because we had spent a lot of time thinking about it. And um, the steps that they take are—they're small steps, you know. So, so basically, if you kind of commit to where you're going in the early episode, you sort of have to get there.
0: Right. So, so th- then in terms of um, the, the the actual execution of the specific episode. Um, the time cuts the, the way you're playing backwards and forwards in time that was all scripted before that's not something you found editorially
1: not in that episode um, i don't think thinking about all the episodes because we're picture locked through 10 i don't think we ever manufacture a, a non-linear um, we've taken non we've taken non-linear things that are scripted and made them linear mm. uh, but we have never gone the opposite um, we we don't do it all the time. We we do it in that episode where we sort of start with the moment right before she gets her biopsy results because it seemed very clear to us as a kind of pre and post part of her life. And uh, there would also be this idea that because the episodes are so um, sort of like emotional and quiet often that uh, we you know where, where there's an opportunity to start a little bit in the future to maybe grab the reader or grab the audience we we would do that. But we weren't. Committed to it. We would only do it if it was organic, and we felt like in that incident, sort of starting with that moment and working up to that moment and having the episode feel like a sort of a two halves in a way um, worked for every story.
0: Mm, that's interesting. So, the, the other thing about time, uh, not a lot of time has elapsed actually from episode one to four. Like it feels like about three weeks or yeah. something, yeah. approximately. Yeah, yeah. Yet, uh, I think one of the big challenges I see a lot of the time is actually believing that characters can move through these uh, changes in personality gracefully right. uh, without it lurching on it because, um, you know, uh, it's not a lot of time. It, yet a lot gets compacted into it. So how, did you have a rule about how far, how quick, how, or is that just simply a taste and bounce it off the rest of the guys in the room kind of um, approach to, to writing?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely had to happen slow. It had to go at that pace because... Um, if it went much faster than that then she would start to get symptomatic natalie and we that's something we weren't doing in the first season so um or early on anyway so that was always going to be part of it that we would take our time and then i think that there was a deliberate effort made that the changes that all the characters go through are believable and organic but they the, 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 but they can happen in short periods of time so yeah we were very careful not to make too too big leaps unless the characters themselves suited the leap for instance maggie uh she suits sleeps because she 's a kind of um she's she follows whim, so a character who follows whim <laughs> can do those sorts of things, but um sort of meteoric right? yeah she 's hot or cold and she 's in love with two people or she doesn 't care about them, and that can happen overnight with her but but that we couldn't do that with the other characters
0: well and 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 just the way she could be of absolutely no. Uh, support to the person who's a cancer victim in, yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a scene. It's very natural. It's, it's like, thank you for
1: showing up. She was having a bad day.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um so Maggie, I, I, I get how you structure based around Maggie then. Um, how did you guys develop the other storylines? Were they all just, uh, that was that stuff that people, individuals pitched? Uh, people thought, I love this character to go this way and how, it, uh, and then I think, or... Was it thrown into relief because of of Maggie's situation? Did you want something that bounced off of uh, of her storyline?
1: Yeah, we we absolutely wanted the storylines to bounce off of the central storyline to provide comic relief and to provide just a whole different energy to the storytelling. And that yeah, everybody wanted that. Everybody part of the show. We thought it was very important to have the tonal changes. They still feel like the same show, but uh, and yeah, people would people would um, pitch <laughs> what you know uh, Maggie Maggie the is an easier one to pitch for. Um, She's like, she can do anything, and everybody in the writer's room is always very interested in her kind of ongoing relationship with that couple. Um, The, I mean, maybe the character who has the sort of um, most applauded uh, ongoing um, arc throughout the season is her older brother, Matthew, who's played by Rick Roberts, who, you know, in this episode we we spent a while sort of developing him in the first three episodes as kind of the stoic and believable and responsible older brother and then starting in this episode we start chipping away at that and asking questions about that and how that will relate to everybody else's story. So he's one where there's a little bit more um, plot. People were able to throw it, we were able to throw it ourselves.
0: It's quite mysterious what's happening with him and where it will go over the course.
1: Yeah, and then for something like Emma, who's the older daughter, we sort of always knew that her story in the entire season is about having a boyfriend. And at some point, having a boyfriend, there's not that much you can really pitch about that other than purely emotional things to go through. And then we always knew that at some point the storytelling around her mother would catch up to what she was going through. And that when those things intersected, it would add stakes to the story. But in something like that, it isn't so much about pitching what should she do, in as much as us talking about how she feels, you right. know, and really trying to kind of track her emotion through the story.
0: Yeah, it's also interesting, I think, that so Caleb in this episode learns Mom's problem. I mean, you know, when we've seen other shows that have used cancer as the, you know, Breaking Bad, of course, you know, because I can't tell them because I gotta provide for them and hence sh- shenanigans ensue. And um, I feel like you're inching towards the gradual revelation to all of them, uh, and when that penny drops to get the most story uh, um, possible by timely, uh, you know, timing out how that one piece of information is is dropped.
1: Yeah, and, and, and sort of figuring out how to tell that um, we wanted to be as real as possible with it, I think. And so... We wanted to delay it because by delaying it, there's storytelling possibilities. If everybody just knows at the beginning, then, you know, you you, everybody just knows. So if you can delay it and you can delay it in a way that feels real, that's good. And so we tried to, in getting into sort of Natalie's head, and why would she not tell them right away? And it's, you know, because she's both wrestling with it on an emotional level, she's literally afraid to tell them. So that's believable. But it also is the... Um, and she accesses this in episode, in this episode that we watched, and in the one before, and in the one after. The more pragmatic reasons that she's not telling them because when she wants to tell, when she does tell them, she wants them to know that everything's arranged for. And so there's this kind of ongoing story. But who's going to take the kids? And so by breaking that down really pragmatically, we felt you can believe the delay and how she tells them. And you're absolutely right that we're building to when she finally does break that information. It's a it's a it's a it's a big point in the season
0: yeah and you get i assume you'll get to all kinds of story generated by that then as well
1: yeah and uh how they react to it yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: so how um how long is each script how, how many pages are you are you writing
1: 50 pages really yeah
0: yeah see it's so much happens in those 50 pages it's fantastic how many scenes
1: Forty-five scenes, maybe.
0: Wow. Yeah. So you know, a page or a page point.
1: Yeah. You know, per scene. Yeah. Yeah. When there's a long scene in the show, you really feel it. When you're watching the episode, you know, and you think, I think, I mean, I do, but I think mm. people even subconsciously realize it. I like the really, we really like the short scenes, um, sort of. If again, sort of an efficient deliver delivering of information of information or emotion.
0: So, as a showrunner then well let's sh- shift uh, hats here. Um, how did production deal with this? You said sphere has a way of working to me you go like boy there's a lot of locations a lot of uh, a lot of things that are happening um, uh, How did you guys approach actual production and being a you know an efficient writer for 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 production of the scripts
1: yeah the I was really impressed about the way that the people that I worked with in Montreal on the production side of the show really wanted all across the board to realize the vision. And I'm I'm really accustomed to uh, being told really early on why something isn't going to be good for production for budgetary or other reasons. And so when I'm writing or when we're writing, we're always thinking about that. But... You know, we were trying to think about that as we were writing these scripts. We knew it was going to be all location. We knew it was going to be block shot. So even though there are a lot of scenes in every script, a lot of short scenes, which makes it harder on the schedule, we think about the episodes not as one episode, but as three episodes while we're writing them. So if we're going to put a scene in the office where the older brother works the doctor, we know we're going to have to go back there a certain amount of times in this block to make it to make it earn its keep. So we would never just sort of write a moment like that independently without thinking ahead and how we can afford to go there that one time. So, so I mean, on the first front, we're, we're cognizant of that. And, you know, we know what we're dealing with and we know how to find an economy of scale there and we do our best. Then when it came to the sort of the line producer and the whole production, they really wanted to make it work. So they really didn't... I expected... Um, you
0: can't do this yeah special. but I actually
1: didn't get yeah. that Yeah, yeah. yeah. so mm-hmm. I it was always okay we'll do this we'll figure it out I think it was a challenge for them to, to figure it out and um, the days wouldn't I mean I've been on shows where, where it's like you're shooting 14 pages a day but we weren't doing that because our scripts aren't overly long you know our scripts are um, we weren't there's not much left on the cutting room floor you know mm-hmm. so uh, which is it can be, can be challenging in editing because you more or less need to use everything that you write and shoot but we were able to go to the places that we wanted to go to, and I think maximize them.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a very handsome-looking show, and that leads to my, you know, um, I think the visual scripts, uh, very, very, uh, the film's uh, visual. So, um, how did you, how did you work with the directors, and how did you uh, develop, and how much of that was scripted? The uh, you know, to take advantage of the amazing locations, uh, the visual looks, the kind of, uh, you know, all the different things you're doing, the slow motion, the underwater, the things that we've seen in different episodes. Uh, Moments of solitude,
1: you know, really. I mean, we really, we, the writers, really believed in moments of solitude in the script, so a lot of those are scripted. Uh, We were not afraid of and embraced the idea of being quietly alone with our characters or with multiple characters or with one character. That's written a lot. Uh, But some of the visual flourishes really, Come purely from the directors and um I, uh, you know the director of the first block louis chiquette the um they underwater in episodes two and three Emma's training for her triathlon, and there's an underwater camera, and that that was totally him. We never scripted it underwater. he wanted to do it, and I think it and he worked really hard to be able to afford it and to be able to fit it into the day and it makes a huge difference that sort of that cinematic flair makes a huge difference in episode two Natalie drops her phone in the toilet. And Louis insisted on getting a toilet cam. He had to have it made, you know, and it took a long time. And then, and as the result of it, you can see the from below, you know, you can see the phone fall into the toilet. But I, again, I think that wasn't in the script, but I think it's totally worth it. And the sequence at the end of episode one, where she gets her at the very end of episode one, she gets told the results of her scan, and she walks silently um, out of a, a hotel, out of a hospital office, down a corridor, and then drops her bag of. Shopping down the staircase, and that was all that was scripted um, as a moment the moment that it is but he, but our director i think just did a beautiful cinematic job yeah, realizing that Yeah, and he spent a long time I mean, you know for a for a television show, sort of orchestrating that
0: and do um do do the writers then? Um, do you uh, go to set with your script, or is one of one of the writers on set all the time, working kind of closely with the directors, producers, changes on the fly, that kind of thing?
1: I was on set a hundred percent of the time. Wow. Yeah, um, I think uh, well, it, during production we had a small writers room, very pared down. So it wasn't like in an, a normal instance where you could, where you're you can just send the one writer to set, which I think you should do, because um, I think it's very important to have a writer on set. I think it's even more important in this case because although the directors were bilingual and the entire crew was bilingual, everybody's first language was French. And so if, if the writer or a writer isn't on set for that, um, that's not good. Because when the actors start talking about the scene, which happens most of the time, you know, we block the scene and hear how the scene sounds and everybody has questions about the scene uh, you need to have a, a writer there to to deal with that.
0: So I'm under- i um, I understand you're sort of uh, developing some scripts for for a, a potential season two, and uh, um, is uh, is it a different sort of uh, room you're setting up? Uh, given that you don't have that uh, elongated uh, development period, uh, so how are you approaching it this year, Joe? What are you looking to do?
1: Well, we we you know, we have a Writer's room that's starting next week, and we have a, I think five writers, and um, we're looking to keep making the same show. But I mean, you're right. We don't have the year that we had that kind of lead time, but I think we still have a very like liberal amount of time mm-hmm. because uh, I would say well, during the long development period for season one, a lot of that was sort of learning curve time, and I feel like now we kind of know the show that we're making although i'm sure there were things we will adjust based on how everybody uh, feels looking back on the first season but we're starting next week and we're going to just figure out where to go
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um so just a couple of general questions i'm sure people people would like to know about is um uh what about the web is there any web extension stuff that's going on is there um, have you guys uh, pushed out in that direction
1: we have a really, I think we have a really great social media team and a big social media presence. Lots of tweeting and and um, lots of sort of lo- a lot of presence there. And I know that the CBC website's really got a little, a, like a lot of in- interesting information about the show that I am really proud of. And um, yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm. I, I'm. I'm impressed how everybody's been really active on social media. Um, from Sphere, it sort of starts there. And um, people engage with the show on social media in a way that I find very kind of gratifying, actually, because um, people maybe have similar experiences, either personally, medically, or with family members. I think everybody does. And it is really... Um, can be quite touching reading those right. and engaging with them.
0: Right. So, so that, uh, any plans for, like, web extension um, storytelling or anything like that?
1: I think that would be... I think not <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. the time frame is so small you know as yeah. the in terms of the storytelling window um, it would be would be hard
0: yeah um, so uh, just before i 'm going to open up for some you know, questions off the floor, um, just a couple of general thoughts about uh, you know uh, writers um, where, from where you 're sitting, what sort of uh, if you were looking for uh, to read scripts, young people, young writers' scripts, uh, new peop- new stuff. What are you looking for? Are you looking for specs, specific types of specs? Uh, what qualities are you looking for in the scripts? Um, where I, are you where you're sitting with that?
1: I personally would re- would be would want to see or, original material, not spec of existing material, and it wouldn't matter to me if it was um, a, a show. Like ours, if it was a, it wouldn't matter if I was reading a family drama, if I was reading somebody for our show, as long as it's original and has an original voice and is efficiently written.
0: Right, feature or feature
1: or TV play. Just good. Yeah, yeah, yeah just and good.
0: And one last question uh, before we open it up is, uh, I forgot to ask you, what's the time frame on uh, like actually writing a script? Then uh, you know, outline. Um, I assume it's. Uh, sort of uh, beat sheet, uh, outline, draft? Uh, what, you, what are you looking at? Like, what do you expect to turn around from, your, from the writers?
1: I feel like we can sort of preliminarily break an episode in three days, I think. That's pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I think this is all sort of at the first go, you know? I think for a writer to take a w- maybe a week with an outline and then two weeks with a draft. Wow. If you can build in that kind of time, that would be good. When you're in production, that's impossible. <laughs> so, But, I mean, at the beginning stage, I think that's possible.
0: It's a lot of coffee that's not going to be drank or something, you know. So let's, let's, um, let's talk. Uh, I think there's got to be some microphones that have to come around because we are recording for a podcast, so if you have questions, uh, just pop your hand. a microphone's going to come down. There's someone here, yeah, and uh, it's coming down. If you...
2: Hi, Ev. Um, so two things... Um, i 've watched in fact, strangely enough, I watched tonight 's episode or last night 's episode just before I got here, so, and uh, two things um, one, the show kept me out until I think it 's episode three when Oliver gets in a cab and finally speaks French, somebody in the cab, somebody in Montreal actually utters French words. was it intentional to not have people speak any French at all? I mean, or not have a French speaking character? And second of all, how did you assemble the best-looking family in
1: Canada? <laughs> <laughs> On the French thing, um, you know, we, we wanted to, it's a fair question, we, we wanted to approximate what it would be like for an Anglo family living in a French city. So they live in NDG, you know, it's in English. I lived in NDG when I lived in Montreal for the last six months, and you can completely exist there entirely in English. So that... That's possible. (laughs) Um, We were careful not to switch any of the sign. Like normally you would, you know, you see in the hospital for example, or in other places, the signs are French, the road signs are French. And we didn't go out of our way to change any of those. Uh, We have, we we were picking deliberate moments where characters might speak French. So that's why we had Oliver do it in the cab. And uh, later on, I think in bars and restaurants, you know, people might get approached in French. And um, we're just trying to be realistic about it, but at the same time balance um, the fact that it's a show for an English audience and it should be mostly in English. But in, in terms of the cast, they're good looking, but I think they're, they're real looking. <laughs> okay. Uh, Joseph, um, can you tell me a little bit about um, what you got at your time? I'm over here. Uh, what you got at your time at the CFC, like how you made the most of your time there, and what you learned there, and you know, yeah, the CFC was a was a great experience. I uh, did the primetime, still called the primetime program. I think
0: so, yeah.
1: Uh, so it's like a simulated writers' room, um, and it's it's just a it's like a workshop of the actual business and the showrunner in residence when I was there. Uh, Shelly Erickson as a writer that I worked with on this show and she just made it like it was in every possible way like a real writer's room we felt the same pressure that we feel in production so you just just by doing that intensely uh, it's a great learning experience the other thing about the film center which um, I think is really really valuable and I think this would apply to any film school is um, you know when you're there you meet a lot of people they bring in a lot of people who are further along the industry to meet and that's great but it's the people that are starting at the same time as you. Those are the people who are kind of valuable and necessary for you going forward when you're trying to make a career out of it. And you know, Cal and I were talking before this about the sort of 10 writers who were there 10 years ago. You know, and the, the, those, it's, it's, it's those relationships that you make with people who are starting in a place like that, very intense, that are really valuable. Um, I recommend it.
0: Hi. I was wondering, um, for me, which would I imagine would be one of the biggest challenges, was what did you do if, if you did try anything to get into the experience of of what it would be like to, to have for Natalie to, to have terminal cancer and have that experience of being a mother and dying and and getting in, trying to get into what that experience would be like.
1: Yeah, I mean you just you talk about it a lot. You try to be really real and honest about it, Um, you know. On the uh, you know on the mothering side, I you know I know I personally not speaking for the other writers, but would draw from my own experience as a parent and just kind of thinking about as much as I can about about my children and how I feel you know how I would feel if I knew I wasn't going to see them. So you just try to draw really really personally. Um, We we just spent a long time trying to stay inside her head. And, and I think one way one, one way to do it in a way that feels real is to not hurry through any steps that she's going through. You know, that's why there's a four episode gap between she gets a scan in episode one and she gets her biopsy results in episode four. And we just kind of let her live in those moments. And um yeah it's just trying to it's trying to stay and then and then and then as soon as Tori came on, the actress you know, she had her own entire process about that. So, I mean, I think we can, you know, we can try to keep the writing real as much as we can. And if she's not able to sort of access it internally, you're not going to believe it. And she and she really, 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 really can access it internally, I think. Um, and the other thing is we try not to let it fly off the handle story-wise. You know, she knows... She's dying, but she's not going to go jump out of an airplane. You know, it's not like a kind of bucket list situation. It's a, to try to keep it grounded and keep it relatable. And just, yeah.
0: Did you table, re- table read the episodes or, or as like, um, so how far would the. Actors be ahead, be able to feed in to respond to the material, Joe
1: we shoot in three blocks. the first episode is three the sex the sec, the first block is three episodes, the second block is four episodes, and the final block was three episodes that's our production schedule. We would do a table read before each block. Uh, I think the actors would get the scripts in in the second block. they started maybe two weeks before the table read, so two weeks before production um, actually with them. Um, for the most part, because they're playing very specific emotional storylines, I didn't really want them to get them too early. I kind of wanted them to stay in the space that they were in, to not think too far ahead about what I was going to do, or, or even in some cases, what had actually happened to me with uh, Oliver. He read the first three scripts and didn't know anything about what had happened to his character. And um, you, you know we, we tried to hold on to that as long as possible. By the time I got to the third block... Uh, Tori in particular really needed to know and, and that made sense because she she just she, she had to get ready you know not mm-hmm. uh, just for she, but and nobody else people generally didn't, didn't ask
0: yeah. Yeah, in- interesting yes and more questions there's someone down here I see or is someone back there okay sorry
1: hey Joseph how's it going good um, there was a moment in this episode that really captured my imagination and it's when um, Natalie is at work and on her computer screen, she sees that message, um, you're
2: abandoning your children, you're running out of time, which I interpreted as, uh, I mean, I guess a hallucination.
1: But I'm wondering if you can just talk about that moment and maybe if that device is used uh, again in, in uh, other episodes. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of an example of us trying to access what she's thinking. And she feels guilty for abandoning her children. And she, because she feels so guilty, she's kind of paralyzed and can't, do anything about it, and she's not telling them what's going on with her, and she's using this impending biopsy as a way to not tell them because she doesn't have the results yet. And so, yeah, it just came to us kind of randomly as a way to to hauntingly tell you what was going on inside her head. And then, no, I don't think we we we, we use other um, we we use other kind of surreal, very very sparingly. There are other. Um, small, surreal moments we used throughout the season, but very sparingly. Yeah, thank you. I, I think so, too, and I think the key there is if you find stuff like that that works, when it works, is not to overuse it. So we we didn't.
0: Hi. Um, you mentioned that you would accept a lot of different kind of samples in terms of writing, I know that there's this balance between comedy and drama. Would you accept comedic samples? Would you consider those for the for the show?
1: I definitely would. Yeah. I mean if I was reading and trying to hire for me it's just I feel like um it's just a. I I mean, you know, if 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 it reads like a I, I would I would encourage you to whatever you think proves who you are <laughs> you know if you believe in it then it's who you are and you should use it I, I mean i know for myself in the past i've got work as a result of samples that were not in any way right for the show <laughs> you know because uh, um somebody read you know somebody read this random spec i wrote that never got made and it's completely different from what was there but something about it spoke to the person hiring and you just never know what that's going to be Hi, uh, just a practical question about the writing. Um, do you leave it to your writers to learn like the medical jargon about cancer and all the steps and medication, or is there a doctor or someone you talk to about how all that works? It's pretty technical. Yeah, we have a medical oncologist who's um, on the payroll, and so we'll do like a healthy googling of <laughs> this scenario in the writers' room, and then, and then, and then the writer might take a whack at it. You know but then we'll get the medical oncologist to read it and tell us where we screwed it up.
2: Makes sense. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, um, as a showrunner, like, um, how, how do you enforce that serious tone? Because there are a lot of, uh, of situations where I notice it could just turn into slapstick so easily, and you just sort of, it's like walking a tightrope. You guys just sort of stay on the tightrope, and you, you keep that tone. And a lot of Canadian shows don't do that. <laughs>
1: uh well i think we all worked hard together to find that tone so um you know me and the other writers and the the, you know the producers and the network we all worked hard to find it and want to be there so we all kind of coming from the same place so i feel like all the writers could dial that naturally but then you know finally i i get to work on the script (laughs) you know so then that's always the benefit of the showrunner process where one one person finally gets to go through and make little adjustments where they're necessary but I, I feel very fortunate that the writers just were able to do that
0: how much um was uh, was there any any room to ad lib any room to uh, work on the fly for the actors how did that go was there, or, or was a uh, script uh, um, carved in stone joe
1: no, it's not carved in stone. Uh, there definitely is room to ad lib. We would block the scene. Some actors want to do that all the time. Rick Roberts always wants to do that. Not not in any way that changes the scene, but just he wants to say it the way he wants to say it. And it's not to say that he changes the text. He's very respectful of the text, but he has his own access points. And um, some actors like Lauren Lee Smith never wants to. She just you know. So it just depends on the actor. But uh, yeah, we block the scene, and we would hear we would hear it. And sometimes they'd ask us you know, big questions about can I say this instead of that or do you think it's important that we don't talk about this and those kinds of things. And I found that um, you want to be collaborative and you want to invite all those things on on the chance that they might make the scene a lot better and they often will. But then there's also sometimes they won't. You know, sometimes you have to be really in the moment and make sure that if you are going to go along with the energy that the actors are bringing into that moment when, say, they have a great line to add and it's really funny and interesting, but it's adding a piece of information that we didn't need, you know. You just have to be very vigilant that um, it doesn't get in the way of the narrative. But uh, but many, many times they, they made scenes better and my concern was always that the scenes felt real and we worked really hard in writing and rewriting the scripts to have them feel real and I always felt that if... the the most important step there is the way the actors engage in them. If it doesn't feel real to the actors, it doesn't feel real. So that stuff was always encouraged. After the table read, we would have long meetings with the actors. They'd come to me with their notes and and the passes that we would do would incorporate a lot of those. Right,
0: right. More questions? I think someone...
2: Um yeah, I'm just wondering from that first uh adaptation to the first day in the uh, of the group of of writers in the writers room, how did you go about sourcing and uh you know, where are you finding your writers like with with season 2 coming up? I uh, I suppose you guys are going through the same process of you know, how are you saying in, in, engage with the community and and what, you know, seeing you know who's who's writing would work for the show?
1: I mean, a lot of the The way it's happening in season two right now is, um, first of all, you 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 always want to work with people you worked with the previous season, and so I've been. So the junior writers on the show are getting promotion. The writer who was our story coordinator in season one, which is kind of a writer's assistant, is getting a promotion to a writer, and so everybody's worked really really hard and collaborated really fiercely, and you kind of wanna you want to foster that. Um, in terms of looking at new uh people to add. It, it it will depend on need, you know, at what level do you need somebody? Do you need somebody who's um junior, who's a mid level or who's a more senior writer? And so you know so you first ask yourself those questions and then yeah, then you make it open for submission. And we're just open when we were.
0: Yes. Hi. Um I, I have a couple of questions. Um is the is the French show still on the air or is that finished?
1: The French show is it's its third season is still airing.
0: Okay. Um so um so it's in
2: it's in its third season of ten so it's like thirty episodes they're doing. I think
1: they did 12, 12, and
2: ten. Twelve, twelve, and ten. Yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, longevity
0: of a series or like, like does the network, do you think about that when you have like a central character who's got to (laughs) die without giving us any spoilers?
1: Yeah. (laughs) I think that's a great question. (laughs) And yeah, we, we do and are thinking about that. Yeah. I mean, I think that obviously it's, it's an ensemble as well, you know? And so if you're familiar with the French show, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a question that we are having and is worth having, you know? I mean, obviously. <laughs> yeah. You know, like we worked very hard to create an ensemble that could, in theory, carry on without her. Okay. Okay. Um, Hi, back row. Um, I have a question about um, the response from your viewers considering the, co- the, the sort of the heaviness of the subject matter regarding cancer. I'm actually wondering, considering... Um, there's been a lot of other shows that have dealt with con- with cancer, but this one seems to have, like, really real moments. And considering how many people have had cancer touch their lives, I'm curious to know what sort of response that you've gotten from your viewers, whether they find it cathartic or whether they find it hard to watch. We've had people uh, write to us about uh, how it is hard to watch, but it is cathartic. Um, so... And then I mean it's it's gratifying to hear that, and I, I think that we feel a, a very responsible a sense of responsibility there because we are trying to tell the story in a real way, and um, y- you know it should be entertaining as well <laughs> as as just a, I mean, it's not meant to be harrowing you know it's just meant to be real and engaging. So we have had those we have had actually quite a few people reach out to us via social media to sort of share their own experiences and say that it's been cathartic for them, that that they have a happy cry, you know, a cathartic cry. Uh, hi there. Uh, it's over here. <laughs> um, you were talking about, like, uh, how you had uh, plot elements change, you discussed uh, tone a lot, and how you guys were going to, I guess, tackle that, but when it came to, like, the theme, like, the central message of the show, and it being ad- adaption, like, was it, like your plan to keep it exactly the same, or has it changed at all? Like, I guess, what was your process with, uh, I guess, making a th- uh, solid theme of the show? I I, th- I think that when I look at what I think the theme is now, it seems really obvious to me. You know that that you're gonna die, and then what are you gonna do while you're alive? And whether you actually know that you're dying or not, um, so if you don't know that you are, that's still the same question. But that wasn't uh, that didn't occur to me in the beginning. Um, it took a while to to get there, and uh, I don't think that's a i i think that's like, like a fair question you could ask because of the story that's at the center of the show, and because we st- we tell, you know, stories about people who are kind of grasping with with it either directly or indirectly. But I don't think it's it's meant to be um, in your face. You know, I think it's just a. It's, you could you could ask it of any of us. And
0: Let me ask you this: Do you, do you find it? Uh uh, do you find it to be the case that oftentimes the theme what you thought you were writing about is something different when you 're finished or or you never really thought about it that much and it became self evident as you as you work through the material like I mean is it a conscious decision to write theme down on on the sheet of paper
1: yeah we, we mean're we, when, bra- when, I mean, when we break an episode we don 't write okay the theme for this is the characters are lying to themselves or whatever we, we don 't access it that way um so yeah I, th- I think i think for me it is something that you figure out as you go through it i think if you decide what it is beforehand maybe that will work mm-hmm. but i I'm, for this i found that sort of the deeper that we get into it and the more that we think about it that we've come to an understanding of what it is and that it it's just again like it's just a very it's, just, it's simple
0: yeah i've worked on a show where it's, that was a forbidden word like me the showrunner wouldn't no theme don't talk to me about it, you know we'll yeah. find out what it is it, it will appear
1: yeah, I don't is, think we ever we ever really we didn't talk about it either yeah, yeah.
0: interesting, yeah um,
1: uh
2: yeah, I was wondering when you're uh working on the show from a i guess a more pragmatic side of it is uh are you crafting it so that it'll uh you can sell it in other markets or anything like that, or is or is, is that ever taken into consideration with the storyline and the people that sort of thing?
1: i mean i know that that would be the goal that, that i know that the people who are behind the show would want that to be the case so but that said um I, although i think about that it's difficult to incorporate that into the storytelling cuz i don't know how how i would you know so it's in my it's in my head <laughs> but um and it's we 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 know that's a thing um but I'm not sure how you know how to sort of position it for multiple markets. I mean, actually, one—that's one reason why. That's one reason why having a lot of French in the show is not a great idea because um, that's an, not entirely helpful for multiple markets. Um, we're aware of it, but I think I think actually, finally, though, again, keeping the story kind of human and relatable—I I, I sort of had thought at one point was the best way that we could do that. Um, one of the things in the show that I find especially brilliant in Tori's acting is just all the emotional detail that comes through in her face. Natalie says so much without saying it. So how emotionally detailed are the scripts and how much is left up to the actors? They are very emotionally detailed. We, we don't write like long paragraphs of narration for the actors or stage direction, but we are specific. But that said... That's Tori. That's in that, you know, for example, in the it might be in the script, you know, we want you to feel a certain way but it's really Tori and in that scene at the final scene of episode four that we watched and the way she um, looks at him and puts her hand out and tells him not to say anything and then delivers that line. Yeah, I mean, that's just her being in the moment and really understanding how the character feels and I remember her the day that we, I remember her hours before she did that and kind of the things that she was asking me about, about the little speech. And she had all these, um, things in the little speech she wanted to change. And we talked about it in the end. She didn't change any of it, but she just really kind of knew where the character was. And so we can write that stuff, but they have to be able to deliver it. And she really can.
0: When it comes technically to writing that, Joe, is that an action line or is that Riley's or, uh, parentheticals or how are you doing that?
1: Mostly it's an action line. And we, we try not to write like a large paragraph, you know, we'll try to be as efficient as we can. Um, and and I'm we'll often try not to do it a lot too. It's only if we really <laughs> can't help ourselves. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So knowing that you're uh, you were a lawyer, did you write that lawyer scene to make lawyers look terrible on purpose? Was that was was that that why you had her come back for that scene and and then the other thing just for fun? If you ever want to have it, watch your show, then watch Jane the Virgin right after to see the two extremes in family dramas. <laughs>
1: I've never seen Jane the Virgin, but I heard it's great.
0: Yeah, um, I think this is probably, probably a good place to, to wrap up. Oh, it's I have so, one more, sorry. know that's a bad place to wrap up. <laughs> sorry. Um,
1: just a quick question, I guess, in terms of the adapting process. And I know the French version gave you sort of a starting point and a world to start with, but how how closely does it track to the French version and what were sort of the key changes that you felt um, you had to make to make it relevant to CBC's audience? The, the central story with Natalie tracks closely, um, sort of emotionally more than anything else. The characters all start in very similar places, um, but the sort of day-to-day choices that they make are, are, are quite different. Um, we had a lot of conversations early on about trying to sort of like understand what we needed to do differently uh, to fit with an English audience and I think those conversations were like valuable to have but looking back on them I'm not sure there's a I'm not sure that you can sort of look at it and say well it was successful in Quebec and so but it, you can't do x and y if you want it to be successful and in English Canada I just think it's people telling stories about other people so the changes that we ultimately made, they just came from the writers. You know, like, these, these were the things that, from the source material, that we responded to so much of it, so much of it on an emotional level, but maybe some of the day-to-day, say, like, jobs, you know, or, like, like more minor details in the beginning that we wanted to take a different angle on. And then when you make those changes in the beginning in a show like this that's so intricately serialized and that it takes its time, that just has a real sort of snowball effect. So, like, a small thing you might do differently in episode one becomes by the time you are in episode seven and it's it's a big difference. But it it comes from no grand design to to not do things, just more from a sort of excitement about what we can do and what we want to do.
0: A, so yeah, I think this is a this a great great time to um to wrap it up. Um, any final thoughts, Joe? Um you know uh was in the process, things that surprised you, things pleasantly, uh, challenges you hadn't expected, uh, um, and and I think you know just advice for writers, you know, trying to bring their projects to the to the screen. What what I, could you say?
1: I just well, I thank you for coming and thank you for being interested in the show. Thank you, Cal, and thank you to the Writers Guild. I I, I feel like really fortunate to have given this opportunity on this show with a group of people who all wanted to make the same show, and it was a very positive experience for me. So I'm um, delighted with how it's going. <laughs> um, I, my advice is to just write every day. And uh, this sort of applies to us. Um, sort of in the middle of production, or at the beginning of production, is you kind of have to just do a little every day. And if you stop doing a little, then you haven't done anything. So even when it's painful and impossible, you just keep doing it. Um, so that's my advice. Do it. Do it.
0: Yeah, good. <laughs> um, so uh, just, just before we go, uh, tonight's presentation is part of the uh, Canadian International Television Festival, TV Festival. Um, so they've got a bunch of other p- great TV-oriented um, shows uh, that they're going to be looking at this week. There's a, they're doing some stuff of 192 with Letter Kenny with uh, what would Saul do? Um, uh, check out their website to figure out what's going on as uh, for the rest of the festival. it would be, be great. And uh, Joe, thanks so much. It was um, I think the show's great. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Thanks everybody. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Carl.
0: You've been listening to Writers Talking TV featuring Joseph K., showrunner of This Life. Writers Talking TV podcasts are presented by the Writers Guild of Canada. All of the Writers Talking TV podcasts can be found on the Writers Guild website, wgc.ca, and at iTunes. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share your feedback at iTunes or email writerstalkingtv at gmail.com. Special thanks to Tiff Bell Lightbox and CBC TV. The show's technical producer is Philip Vukovic, I'm Cal Coons. Thanks for listening.